0: Thank you, Lord. Hey, come on. Who's grateful for the hope that you have in Jesus? Let me hear from you one more time. Hey, God bless you. Good to be with you in the house of God this morning. You can be seated if you're in the room. I want to also say welcome to those of you who are joining us online across all the different platforms. Thanks for making time in your day. Come on on a, on a cold, snowy, blustery day. But come on, how many believe it's going to be a good day? The sound of victory is in the air. Come on, somebody say amen. My wife put on Facebook yesterday, she said, 200 plus comments and Pastor T will preach in a Chiefs t-shirt tomorrow. And 24 seconds later, there were 300 comments on the thing or 235 or whatever. So here we go. Here's the secret. I was going to do it anyways. I'm sorry. Sorry to burst your bubble. I was going to do it anyways. Hey, if you have your Bible with you this morning, turn to 1 Corinthians 13. And while you're turning there, I want to take a moment and just laugh with you, Hopefully for a moment or two, and uh, Clinton, did you hear about the Chiefs fan that won a Super Bowl ticket on the radio contest this last week? Did you hear about that? No, I missed it. Unfortunately, though, it, he had, before, the, before he really was mindful of the Chiefs making the Super Bowl, he planned his wedding for today, and so when he won the, the Super Bowl ticket, it was really unfortunate because he really wanted to go, but it was obvious. He knew what he had to do. He had to find someone to stand in his place, and it's short notice for people to make the travel and everything, so he's actually still looking for someone to stand in for him. And if you're single and interested, the wedding is at St. Margaret's Church at five <laughs> o'clock this afternoon, so. But you know, we, we're from Texas, and so we are, we're we're Cowboys fans by birth and Chiefs fans by choice, but how many you know that love that is a choice that's given with a free will means more than love that you have to give, amen? We're, we're, we're Cowboys fans by birth, Chiefs fans by choice. Amity grew up in New England, so she's, been a Patriots fan, but she's going through deliverance ministry here at the church. She's getting set free from that. So just keep praying, just keep praying. And she's pulling for the Chiefs tonight against Tom Brady. Come on, someone give her a hand. That's, that's progress. That's growth in the Lord right there. But I'm a big Cowboys fan. People are always asking me, what will you do if the Cowboys and the Chiefs play in the Super Bowl? It's hard for me to know, but right now it seems very unlikely. (laughs) And not because of the Chiefs, but because of the Cowboys. Uh, Gary, did you hear that Cowboys Stadium in Texas was recently declared the tornado shelter for the county that it resides in there? Yeah, they thought it's a good idea to make it that location because there hasn't been a touchdown there in many months. But did you guys hear, do you know what what Cowboys fan, what a Cowboys fan does after the Cowboys win the Super Bowl? Turns off his PlayStation. (laughs) But this is a a true story, not like some of the other ones haven't been true that I just shared, but this is a true story. Um, And listen, this morning, a a sweet lady, uh, Judy, she brought me a Kansas City Chiefs face mask. And I don't know about you, but I'm getting tired of face masks. I'm ready for that season to go away. You know, we can all gather on the church parking lot, pile them up, and burn them, and good riddance to them forevermore. I mean, I'll just say that. But if you got to wear one in the next few days, might as well wear a Chief's one, you know. So I'll, I'll be rocking my Chief's face mask. But here's what I heard is that Dallas Cowboys face masks were actually the most popular item on Amazon. And I looked into it, and sure enough, it's true and, and I, I researched it a little bit more, and here's what I discovered, is that people heard if you're wearing cowboy's gear, you can't catch anything. No. <laughs> so you might want to check that out. All right, one more. All right. Hey, the Bible says that laughter, good, that cheer is good medicine for the heart, right? Proverbs 17, verse 22. So it's okay to laugh a little bit in church. Come on, somebody say amen. amen. Come on, especially with those of you who are braving the snow and the cold to connect to church this morning. One more, I heard about an elderly man who recently moved to Florida, and this joke is not about Tom Brady, it's a different elderly man that recently moved to Florida, (laughs) and let's call this man Bill, and let's say he's 90 years old, and Bill had moved to Florida, and he just, he wasn't feeling quite right, so he went to see his doctor, Dr. Smith, and He said, Doc, I'm just not feeling quite right. I know I'm 90, but just thought I'd come see you. And Dr. Smith ordered some tests and made some adjustments on his prescriptions and gave him a few other things to consider and said, go try all these things out and then come back and see me in a month. We'll see how you're doing. Just a couple weeks later, Dr. Smith was with his teenage son walking into the Super Bowl in Tampa Bay, Florida. When out of nowhere. He sees his patient, the 90-year-old Bill right there waiting in line to go into the Super Bowl with a beautiful woman on his arm and a big smile on his face. And Dr. Smith walked up to Bill and said, well, Bill, you must be feeling better. And he said, well, doc, not really. I'm just trying to take your advice that you gave me. And Dr. Smith said, what advice was that? He said, well, you told me get a hot mama and be cheerful. (laughs) And Dr. Smith said, Bill, you misheard. I said, you have a heart murmur, be careful. I have a feeling Bill just heard what he wanted to hear, if you know what I'm saying. (laughs) All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13. Going to start a new series this morning called The Greatest of These. And listen, I didn't even really put two and two together that I'd be opening up this series on the day that there would be a lot of conversation, a lot of discussion and some debate about who the greatest of all time is or the GOAT, you know. The GOAT, the greatest of all time, that's the acronym, and there'll be a lot of discussion today about is Tom Brady the greatest of all time, and, and maybe you could say that he is, argue that he is, maybe it's hard to argue based on his resume that he's not. I, I believe tonight he's, it's old GOAT versus baby GOAT, the next GOAT, come on, amen, but the greatest, there's all this discussion about who and what is the greatest, and it's not a new discussion. It's not a new discussion. In the Bible, the, the religious people came to Jesus and they said, what is the greatest commandment of all? And if you read the context, they were actually had this religious spirit and they were trying to trap and corner Jesus and, into saying something that would allow them to justify some of the things that they wanted to do to him. But Jesus just blew up the argument right there and he said, the greatest of all commandments is love the Lord your God with all your mind, heart, soul, and strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. The greatest of these, faith, hope, and love, these three remain according to 1 Corinthians 13 13. But the greatest of these, somebody say, greatest, Greatest. is love. Somebody say, is love. love. The greatest of these is love. And listen, the heart and motivation of this series was even a couple months ago, I began sharing with the staff and the team and those that work on all the media components and everything that support the sermon series. I said, I feel like After we come out of of New Year, New You, I really believe the Lord's calling me to remind the church about the importance of love. That it's the mandate for us as believers. It's what we're called to live out as believers. And I began to just spend time with the Lord and he began to show me that more than ever, it's going to be critical that the church of Jesus Christ, people that follow Jesus, that's you and that's me, that we are reminded about the importance of walking in the love of God without compromising the truth of God. Because how many know that we live in a culture right now that is all love and very little truth? Whatever you feel like, whatever you identify as, whatever feels good to you, whatever you want to do, you go ahead and do it, and who am I to say that it's not right? But I'm just telling you, that's not love. And Jesus embodied what it looked like to come filled with compassion and love and a heart to see people saved and rescued out of a life that wasn't God's very best for them. And deliver them to a life that they can begin to build on a firm foundation. All those things I just talked about and then some. The reason that God is against them is because they're shifting sand. There's not an ability of God to bless those lifestyles and bless those commitments. It's not love to allow people to remain in those those areas of sin. It's not what God did for you and me. He loved you enough to come right where I was right where I was as a rebellious 20-year-old kid in Texas living for myself, a, a life filled with immorality. He came right into that life right where I was. He didn't make, my, make me get myself right before he came and reached out to me. He found me in that place, that very place, that dark place, that lonely place, that isolated place. That's where he came to. But aren't you glad? I'm so glad he loved me too much to leave me in that place. He encountered me in that moment, but he rescued me to a different life. And it's not love to let someone, just because they have a smile on their face, drive off the cliff of life. And it's time for the church of Jesus Christ. We're going to have to really embrace this call, this mandate, this invitation, and the example of Jesus to live out what it looks like to love people. I mean, to be radically motivated by compassion. We should have judged people that aren't living Like Jesus in the world, they haven't met Jesus yet. You were living the same way before you encountered the love of God. I was living the same way. We should have judged them. Our hearts should be filled, gripped, rendered with compassion that moves us to love them enough to tell them about a God who knows what they're going through, the confusion, the doubt, the insecurity, but he loves them too much to leave them where they are. He wants to deliver them to a new life, kingdom life. We're going to have to be in a new way, in a deeper way, in a committed way of people that understand what it looks like to live like Jesus, who was the embodiment of truth. He was the word of God made flesh, but he came and laid his life down motivated by love. 2 Timothy 3, Paul was writing to Timothy, but I believe he's speaking about the time that we live in. And I believe as I read this, you'll understand what I mean that in increasing ways, what Paul wrote to him in this verse, in, these, in this chapter, is in an increasing way what we're experiencing in our culture. And it says this in verse 1 through 3, chapter 3, you should know this, Timothy, in the last days there will be difficult times. For people will love only themselves and their money. They'll be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to parents, ungrateful. Listen, as I'm reading this, does it resonate with you that in an increasing way, this is the culture that we're living in, that we are called to stand apart from, that we're called to look differently than And reading on, it says, boastful, proud, scoffing at God, including what his word has to say. Is that, do we really have to live that way? Disobedient to parents, ungrateful, they will consider nothing as sacred. They'll be unloving and unforgiving. They'll slander others and have no self-control. They'll be cruel and they'll hate what is good. Sound a little bit like what we're up against in our culture? It sure does to me. And the answer is not to judge. The answer is not to condemn. The answer is not to build a fortress of holy solitude around the walls of the church. The answer is to do what Ephesians chapter 4 says and speak the truth in love. Let me just read a little bit more. Ephesians 4. These are the gifts that Christ gave to the church. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Their responsibility is not just to run the church. It's not just to have Sunday services, but watch, to equip God's people to do his work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. And this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord. There's there's a new place of maturity in Christ that God is inviting you to, that God has in his heart for you. Whether you're new to God or whether you've been serving him for a long time, there's more that he has in store for you. And and, and reading on, it says, measuring up to the full and complete standard, not of a church membership or a religious standard or idea, but of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown around by every wind of new teaching or preference or opinion or idea about how to do life, marriage, or sexuality. We won't be tossed around by those things. We won't be influenced when people try to trick us with lies that sound so clever that they seem like the truth. Instead here's where I really was going we will speak the truth in love growing in every way more and more like Christ We got to be moved with compassion but we got to have courage and conviction And there are two sides of a sword you can't if you have all love and all mercy and all grace but you don't have the truth of God you're just one side of a sword And the Bible is a two-edged sword we got to have the mercy of God. Come on, the compassion of God. Again, to realize that people that aren't living for God, they just haven't met Jesus yet. They still have what the Bible talks about, what we had before we encountered Christ, darkened minds. we got to have compassion for people. But we can't allow the compassion that we have for people to keep us from having the courage and the conviction to tell people about Jesus and about God's word. That's what love really looks like. God loved you just the way you were, but he loved you too much to leave you where you were. And it's not love to reject people who are dealing with sin, but it's also not love to avoid telling them the truth because the truth is what sets people free. If we love them, you, I mean, I, I said it earlier, but I bears repeating, we can love someone right off the edge of the cliff just because they, do we really, do we really, is it really my place to say something and they look like they're happy and I'm telling you. There are people who need someone to come alongside them with compassion and love, point them to Jesus, point them to God's word. Listen, for us as believers, for you as a believer, this series is important because love matters. Love matters. Listen, whenever I see something in the Bible, like a statement like this, the Apostle Paul, you know, he said, he said, I haven't apprehended it all, but one thing I have really taken hold of and... That's forgetting the things that are behind me and pressing forward towards the things that God has in front of me, the call of God in my life. Whenever I, I see those things, I take a cue that it's really significantly important. Listen, the whole word of God is important. But when I see someone like the Apostle Paul saying, there's one thing that I really focus on with intentionality, I pay attention a little bit more. I say, what's that one thing? I want to make sure that I'm living that out. And 1 Peter 4.8 says this, above all, say above all, above all. love each other deeply. Because love covers a multitude of sins. Aren't you grateful for that? Oh, and all my imperfections and weaknesses, I still stumble, I still struggle, I still fall. Even as your pastor, I hope that's okay for you to hear. I'm not perfect. I I mean, if you ever have an expectation that I'm perfect before I stand behind this pulpit, I mean, I just gotta invite you to find another church. I'm grateful that love covers a multitude of sins. the spirit of religion comes and says, you gotta do this, jump through this, jump through this hoop, spin these plates and Jesus said the greatest commandment is just love God with all your heart love him love him with all your heart I mean just focus on this are you loving God with all your heart and are you loving people are you loving the people around you in the way that Christ loved you are you loving them above all love each other deeply John 13 says this, by this thing, everyone around you will know that you are Christ's followers. They'll know that you're disciples. It could say a lot of things. It could say church attendance. It, It could say serving as a deacon. It could say leading the communion moment. It could say holding the door open at church. It could say showing up early to make the coffee or going behind the scenes here to rock the babies. But it says by this one thing, you will know that they will know that you are my disciples because you love one another. If you're a Christ follower, if you're a believer, this series is important. It's a refresher. It's a reminder. It's something that I believe we need to rededicate and repurpose ourselves to. Not the world's kind of love, not the world's opinions about what love is, not an emotion or a feeling, but God's kind of love. And you know, sometimes it's hard for us in our culture, to really embrace this because we have one word in the English language for love. I mean, maybe there's a few other words that are kind of synonyms or whatever, but typically speaking, when you're talking about things that you love, something you have affection for, something you value, something you'd be willing to sacrifice for, we have one word we love. We love the Jayhawks, we love tacos, we love the Chiefs, we love football, we love queso, and we love God. And it's challenging because the same word that we use for love, we try to apply to all these things. And I believe it waters down what God's version of love really looks like. Because in God's word, there are actually four words in the New Testament in the Greek that describe different measures, levels and types of love that God intends for us to experience and express. The first one is storgay, and it's familial love. It's the love that you feel for your children, not because they do anything. In fact, come on, when kids show up on the scenes, they are fully dependent upon you for almost everything. They're bringing nothing into your life except some joy and some excitement and maybe the hope of a future with them. But in that moment, they're making messes and fully dependent on you, yet you love them. In other words, there's, there's, there's a love that you have just for your children because they're your children. It doesn't matter what they do. Doesn't matter what they say. It's the familial type of love that you have for the crazy uncle that shows up at Thanksgiving just because he's crazy Uncle Bob. You know he's crazy, but you still love him because there's a story kind of love that God's put in your heart for him. The next one is phileo. And you know, Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. This is the root word for that. It's a brotherly type of love. It's the type of love that you and I have for one another because we're brothers and sisters in Christ. Not because of anything you've done, not because of of any other experiences that we have, but there's just something that happens when we become unified around the the shed blood of Jesus Christ and his risen life and those sacraments and faith in him, one body, one spirit, one family, that there's there's a phileo love, a brotherly love that we begin to experience for one another. The next one is eros, and it's a sensual, romantic type of love that you ought to have for only one person in your life. You can filleo love a lot of people. You can storgate your whole family, but there's only one person that God calls you to share this type of intimate love, this eros love with. Listen, if you're, come on, if you're here and you're sitting next to your spouse, you gotta be married to participate in this illustration. Come on, look at them and just tell them, I eros you. Come on, right now, just enjoy yourselves. Enjoy yourselves. I see the sparkle in your eye back there. Some of you need to just get a room, man, after church. There's a fourth kind of love, and it's the word agape. It's the word agape. And it's a different kind of love. It's not extended because of a relationship. It's not transactional based on something that's reciprocated. It's an unconditional, undeserved, unrelenting kind of love that chases you down in the moment where you deserve it. The least, the moment you need it the most, it shows up on the scene to reveal love to you. That's agape love. That's the kind of love God so agape the world that He sent His one and only Son, that whosoever would believe in Him, would not perish, but have eternal life. The greatest need in this world today is not a program or a politician. But a movement of God's unwavering, unconditional, unrelenting love for man, expressed by the church, the body of Christ, the people who have been captured by that very love, it's the love of God that leads us to repentance, which is just changing our life, turning from an old way and living differently for God. Love is not an emotion or a feeling, contrary to popular belief and popular cultural opinion. Love is a person. 1 John 4 says this, dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not even know God because God is love. Come on, say it with me. God is love. It's not an emotion or a feeling, it's a person. Love is a decision, a choice. And for the believer, it's really not optional. It's a commandment. Jesus, these are red letter words. This is what he said in John chapter 13, verse 34. He said, so I am giving you a new commandment. Somebody say new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you, you should love each other. The commandment of Jesus to me is that I love you like he loved me. The commandment of God to you, of Jesus to you, is that you love me the way that Jesus has loved you. Listen, we, won't, we cannot and we will not fulfill The vision that God has put in our heart to to reveal Jesus and see people revived to life in Christ through a relationship with Jesus, if we don't determine to pursue, rediscover, and recommit to the command of Jesus and make it the operating system of our lives. Not something we do occasionally, but something we commit to live out consistently. Every day we wake up and we say, God, you said, Jesus, you said, a new commandment you've given me that I would love others around me in a similar way that you have loved me. Help me to do it well today, God. Help me to love the people in my home. Help me to love the people in my workplace. Help me to love the people in my community. Help me to love the person at at work that even seems unlovable. Help me to love that person because that's what you did for me. While I was still a sinner, Christ came and died for me. He died for the ungodly. He didn't wait till we got it right, till we got it figured out. That's the kind of love. That's agape love. Jesus was setting an example that would now allow God to point to this one thing where previously there were all kinds of religious rules, regulations, and steps, and ordinances that had to be done for the sanctification of people. He was now looking, and he was looking through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, and he was looking to one thing that we would commit ourselves to live out to fulfill all the law and the prophets, Galatians 5.14 says. The entire law, this whole book, could be summed up. I mean, this is powerful. Get how important this is. Are you kidding me, Pastor T? This whole book can be summed up. Look what Galatians 5.14 says for yourself. The entire law is fulfilled in one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus came and gave us a new command. 1 John 3, we see the Father's command. And listen, this is a little bit different because this is coming from the Father. Jesus, those were red-letter words. A new command I give you that you love one, one another, love each other as I've loved you. First John 3, we see the Father's command. And watch what it says. It says, this is his, and that word is talking about the Father. And it says, this is the Father's command. We must believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. Well, aren't those kind of the same thing, Pastor T? No, they're not. Because there's a lot of people that believe in God and don't love people. I'm just telling you, it's true. There's a lot of people who believe in God and don't love people. There's a lot of people who put on their Sunday best, and they put on their church mask, and they come to church, and then they go to the restaurant next door, and they're the most distant, mean, unconcerned, not generous person. I'm just telling you, I'm slow to be critical or judgmental, and so I'm not going to name names or name places or whatever, but we all know that this is true, that there, there are churches filled with people who believe in God but have closed their heart towards loving their community because of judgment, because of pride. The Father's command, believe in Jesus, believe in Jesus, believe in Jesus, believe in Jesus, and love people, love people, love people, love people. They're connected, but they're unique. And God's calling us to fulfill his command, to be a church that loves God with all of our heart, that loves the people around us. You can't do it in your own strength. You can't do it in your own strength. You can't give away what you haven't received. And it's what people are looking for. It's what the world desperately needs. listen the early church, people didn't show up because of programs. They didn't show up because of worship teams or contemporary songs. They didn't show up because of stage lighting or haze machines. Listen, I'm grateful for all those things. We've invested in those things. They produce an atmosphere that inspires us and and, 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 and causes us to enter into an atmosphere of worship. But in the early church, people didn't show up because of those things. They didn't show up because of, of of a program or a person, they showed up because they saw a people that were living out the love of God, expressing it in real terms, sharing their lives, sharing their resources, giving themselves away to one another, and it was attractive to lost and hurting people. Let us be a church that, come on, people that walk in, Walk in these doors carrying the weight of the world on their shoulders. Who knows where they were just last night on Saturday night? Where they were and what they were up to, and maybe that's you today. Let this be an atmosphere where we welcome people with the same love that welcomed us. And to the family of God. Listen, if they encounter the love of Jesus, it's just a matter of time before they start wanting to live for Jesus. Let's lead with love. And then model what it looks like and start gaining and garnering the influence that love gains in people's hearts, and then be able to start making disciples and saying, You know, God's called you to maybe think differently or live differently in that thing. God's calling you to reconcile that relationship or lay down that lifestyle. Or God's called you to be a Christ follower, and you can't live that out because God's not going that way. 1 Corinthians 13, backing up just a few verses. He says, if I, if I could speak all the languages of the earth, if I could speak heavenly languages of angels, but I don't love others, I, I'm just a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all the knowledge and I had such faith that I could move mountains, but I didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything that I had to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Listen, all those things are good things. Things we're called to do, but he's saying, the motivation has got to be love the motivation has got to be love let's be a place where God can come in and encounter not religion but love relationship we just love you we love you right just like God loved us right where we were before we got right with God he came and he loved us and saved us and reached out to us through the cross of Jesus Christ we're here to just love you and listen we'll love people I'm telling you people will want to know more about how to live for Jesus We can't give away what we don't have. The Lord just spoke to my heart as I was preparing this message that there's a great number of Christians who hear these types of messages and have allowed a lie from the enemy or a deception from the enemy to cause them to feel like they've become disqualified from really receiving and walking in the love of God. Because of a sin, because of a lifestyle, because of whatever it is that you're disqualified from receiving and really walking in the love of God for yourself. And listen, this is a critical thing because you cannot, I mean, you really just can't. It's spiritually and physically impossible. It's impossible for me to give you something that I haven't received for myself. It reminded me of a moment recently where I was, um, just enjoying an evening, kind of a quiet evening. I was watching some television. I don't know what I was watching, some sports channel or network or game or something probably. And we had recently got bought off of a Facebook marketplace, this new to us sectional. And so I was sitting in a little different position than I maybe had sat in before while I was sitting watching my sports show or whatever, just kind of catching up on headlines. And I got up to go get something or maybe to run upstairs and put a kid back in bed. And And I realized that my leg and the position that I had settled into had fallen asleep. How many of you ever had that happen to you? I mean, in a way that where you stand up and you realize like, oh, I'm not going anywhere for a moment. And and so I I, I hollered upstairs, I'll be there in a minute, you know, honey, or whatever it was. And I realized that before I could become active to move and go and do what God was calling me to do in that moment, there was a restoration of flow that had to be restored. And the Lord just reminded me about that as I was preparing these notes and just said, there are people who something has entered in and cut off the flow of God's love into their heart, into their life. And now they're held back, hindered, or even crippled spiritually from really living the love life that I've called them to live. And today God wants to deal with that, whatever it is. Something that's hindered or held back or cut off the flow of God's love into your heart, into your life, into your mind, some kind of a disappointment or a betrayal, some sort of a hurt or a wound or a pain in church or in marriage or, or in, in workplace or whatever it was today, something that you've, you've put up a spot right there and you've said, I'm not going there again. Today, God wants to heal it. He wants to remind you that he loved you. And because he loved you, the Bible says, now we can love others. I mean, He, you just, you don't, you can't even fathom how much God loved you that he would send his only son. I, I mean, we, we tend to just kind of mask it in religious language. We become so familiar with the story of the gospel, I mean, that God would send his only son, that it, it just becomes so familiar that sometimes it loses the impact. I was reminded of a story, an allegory. If you research it, there's some places you'll find that even say it's a true story that gives names and dates and it's the story of a man named John Griffith and John and his wife and their young infant son lived in Oklahoma when the Dust Bowl days began to happen and the Great Depression came about and, and and the winds and the dirt that blew in from the west blew away their dreams and blew away their farm and they were forced to look for a new place, a new opportunity a new job and so John was a hard working, industrious person, and he began to search out for places that had work and he discovered there was a position. Working the drawbridge over the Mississippi River. The drawbridge that would allow certain times ships to sail southward towards the the port of New Orleans and the Gulf of Mexico, delivering the things from the Great Plains. And at at another time would be deployed down to allow the great trains that were taking masses of people from the east towards the west that was quickly becoming a boom area. And he took the job. It wasn't what he intended to do. He wanted to be back farming in Oklahoma. But he took the job because he was faithful and committed to be a provider for his family. And after a number of years went by, John was faithful in the job. And the little infant son had grown up to be an eight-year-old little boy. And it was a different time, a different day. And oftentimes the mom would pack the lunch and say, John Jr., would you take lunch to your dad? And even though he was little eight-year-old, he would take the bag that had the the lunch within it that mom had prepared and he would walk the mile and a quarter around the river bend to the place where his dad was stationed and working the drawbridge and one day John was just going about his day, it was was most like most of the other days, just listening for the whistles and watching for the ships and conducting his business and this day was a little different John Sr. heard the The whistle blowing from the east as the train was right on time, coming from Memphis, carrying 400 passengers to the new destination, settling in the west. He knew he was about to need to do what he had done hundreds of times before, lower the drawbridge so that the train could proceed across the Mississippi River. And as he was preparing to pull the switch to lower the bridge, he looked up and in the corner of his eye, he quickly saw what terrified him and gripped his heart, paralyzed his heart with fear. He saw his young son coming across the tracks. And he knew in that moment that he only had a split second. The train was bearing down, coming around the corner, 400 precious men and women and children on the train. And the decision that he had is, do I lower the bridge and save them all, knowing it means I'll sacrifice my son? The agony that John felt. This is my son, my only son. But if I'm not willing to make this decision, hundreds and hundreds of lives will be lost. And he made the decision that hopefully none of us ever are faced with making. He preserved the lives of the 400. Tears streamed on his face, knowing and full well what he had just done. And he looked out and he saw the train going by before him, people unaware completely of what had just transpired, businessmen reading newspapers, children climbing on seat backs, never even aware of the price that had just been paid so that they could live. And I know it's a graphic story, And aren't you glad that, Lord willing, you never have to make a decision like that. But we mask over the sacrifice, the price, the agony that God endured when he sent his son for you and for me. The Bible says that Jesus, he wept so passionately and profusely in the garden of Gethsemane. He wept and he said, Lord, if there's another way, let this cup pass from me. And the Bible says that he wept so intensely that there was blood that began to come out along with his tears. God so loved, God so agape. You, you, you. And he sent his son. He sacrificed his son. That's, that's what the Bible says. Hebrews 9.28 says, Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. That's uncommon love. That's 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 love that could never be earned or deserved. I could never live in a way that would deserve or earn that love. But I'm compelled to die trying. Just stand to your feet. I want to circle back to that word about the, cup, the cut the off, the flow that's been cut off, the flow of God's love into your life. Listen, right where you are, man of God, woman of God, young person, if there's an area of, of pain in your life, a, a betrayal, a hurt, a wound, a pain, something unexpected, unforeseen that happened in your life, and, it, and you realize now in, the, in this moment where the Holy Spirit is just speaking to your heart that there's a place that When you get up and you try to run the race of love that God's called for you, that flow has been cut off in such a way that you can no longer get up and go. Would you just ask the Lord, Lord, what's that place in my life? I ask us to do this often, but it's the most powerful moment. God doesn't want you to just hear a good message. He wants you to receive a breakthrough, a healing. uh, He wants you to become set free today. He wants you to apprehend something that allows you to live out abundant life, victorious life, live this life of love that he's called you to live. So right now, would you just say, Lord, Holy Spirit, would you show me whatever those things are? Again, an area of hurt, a wound, an offense, a betrayal that has caused the flow of love to be cut off in your life and it's hindering you from loving others the way you know you're called to. Maybe it's a sin or or an area of guilt or shame or condemnation that the enemy has just caused to become a weight around your neck and around your shoulders that has caused you to feel like you're disqualified from really receiving and walking in the love of God. And I'm just telling you today, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And Christ came for the sinners, not the well. He came for the sick, not the healthy. God came while we were still lost in our sin, dead in our trespasses. These are all things that the Bible says about you and me. When we were in that place, that moment, that's the very moment that Jesus came. The moment that I deserved him the least, I needed him the most, and that's where agape love sh- shows up on the scene. And so we thank you, Lord, that you would just speak to us in those places where there are hurt, hurts, wounds, offenses, in those places where there's guilt, sin, shame, condemnation, that's cut off the flow of God's love. I thank you that today you're speaking a better word. You're speaking a resounding word. Love wins. Love is greater than anything that can be spoken or named, any, any scheme of the enemy. Any sin, guilt or shame, love conquers all. The Bible says where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. That's the expression of God's love for you today. So thank you, Lord, that you're healing hearts and strengthening people to begin to love again, to begin to love again, to begin to express that love to their, to their spouses, to their families, to the people in their community. We thank you for it, Father. We thank you for it, Lord. And lastly, before we worship one more time and dismiss you about your day, The most important thing that we do when we're gathered together as the people of God here at Rev City is give you an opportunity to give or rededicate your life to Jesus Christ. And maybe you're far from Him. You've been separated or cut off from the agape love of God because of just decisions or choices or busyness. You're what the Bible might describe as a prodigal son or daughter. You once knew God, loved God, served God, but you've drifted from God. And listen, if that's you, or maybe you've never given your life to Jesus, and experience what it feels like to have the weight of all the sin and guilt and shame lifted and removed off of, your, off of your shoulders in a way you could never do in your own strength. Listen, if that's you, you're in any one of those camps or anywhere in between, right now, do not wait. Lift your hand high towards heaven. Lift your hand high towards heaven and say, that's me, Pastor T. That's me, I've been separated from God. I, I, I've been weighed down by sin, and today I wanna receive what it feels like to be made new, to be forgiven, to be brought home. Not into religion, but into a relationship, into a loving relationship. Listen, if you're online and you're joining us, listen, it might be Sunday morning or it might be later on in the week. You might be in your home, your office, your car. I think it's important that you would take a moment, pull over to the side of the road, close your office door, and just lift your hand high towards heaven. No one might even see you, but you're not responding to a person. You're responding to your heavenly Father. Listen, one more moment to respond, and then we're going to pray a prayer with you and for you. And we do this every week. If you're part of the Rev City family, you know what's coming. With those precious people who responded to Jesus, and if you lifted your hands, you could put them down. Those precious people that responded to Jesus, rededicated their lives to Jesus, we pray this with them. And listen, it's, it's to show you that there's a church family, there's a people of God, there's a place that wants to come alongside you and encourage you and strengthen you and pray for you and minister to you and help you to begin to not just get to heaven but to live this life of victory and abundance and love that Jesus came to make away and make available to you. And secondly, we do it every week together because we realize even as we're maturing in our faith, growing in our faith, we never graduate from grace. We still need Jesus as our Lord and Savior today just as much as we ever have. So come on, people of God, pray this out with fervency in your heart, along with all the precious people in the room and online that gave their lives to Jesus. Come on, repeat after me. Father, in Jesus' name, I recognize my need for a savior and I thank you for sending Jesus to pay the price that I could not pay to make a way that I might have a new life and a fresh start and I give you my life, I give you my trust and because of Jesus, because of the cross of Jesus, come on say it, I'll never be the same, I'll never be the same. Come on rejoice with all of heaven for the precious people that came home to Jesus today that came home to Jesus today. That's worth celebrating, come on, that's a big deal. That's a big deal. Listen, if you're were if you in this room and you dedicated your life to Jesus, we have a Bible that's much like this one that I preach from, a Fresh Start Bible. It has God's word, it has some devotionals and some really foundational things to really help you begin growing your fresh or new faith in Jesus Christ. You can stop by the Welcome Center on your way out and just tell them, listen, we're gonna celebrate this with you. Just tell them, I rededicated my life to Jesus today. They'll put that, that resource in your hand and bless you with that and just be so excited to celebrate that with you. If you're joining us online and you did the same thing, rededicated your life to Jesus today, we wanna to send that same Bible, those same resources to you. If you're in the continental United States, text us, New Life to 30500. If you're international, we would love to send the same things to you, but we're gonna have to mail them to you, obviously, and you, you have to email us. Email newlife at will get it on its way to you. Aren't you grateful for the love of God? I mean in a new way or a fresh way, are you just more aware of just the price that God had to pay because of his love? I mean he was motivated by love for you. He sent Jesus. Oh, so thankful, so grateful. Hey, let's worship the Lord one more time. And Amity will come and she'll dismiss us just here in a moment.